Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the, all the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so is written by the prophet. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way. And behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then, opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night, and departed to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious, and he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and in all that region who were two years old or younger, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. But when Herod died, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt, saying, Rise, and take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who sought the child's life are dead. And when he rose and took the child and his mother and went to the land of Israel. But when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there, and being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth, so that what was spoken by the prophets might be fulfilled, that he would be called a Nazarene. And this is the word of God. Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas. Uh, my name is Richard. I'm one of the pastors here at SLE Church, and I'll be delivering our Christmas morning sermon uh, this morning. It's great to have you all here at St. Lucia Evangelical Church uh, to celebrate the coming of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, into the world. Uh, now, this is my first Christmas at SLE, so it's, really, it's a really special one for us. Um, uh, and, you know, we, we sung earlier today that uh, the coming of Jesus brings joy to the world. That was our second, that was our second song. Uh, and Christmas is a joyful time, isn't it? Um, kids, hands up if you stayed up late 
or you woke up very early this morning to open up your Christmas presents? Yeah? Was it a joyful time for you? Yeah? Uh, I, I guess the, not really. <laughs> Was it a joyful time for you? Yeah, yeah, okay. Uh, n- not, normally in Australia, we're a little bit obsessed with Christmas. Uh, there's Christmas decorations, uh, there's Christmas lights, there's even competitions for the best Christmas lights um, in Brisbane. There's Christmas trees, Christmas sales, Christmas parties, Christmas outfits, and of course, Christmas presents. And on Christmas Day, uh, Australia basically shuts down so that everyone can spend time with family and with friends. But Christmas is not really a joyful time for everyone, right? Um, As a kid, I used to look forward to Christmas morning uh, because what we did, we would uh, wake up early in the morning, gather around the Christmas tree, and we would open up our Christmas presents together with our families. But in high school, my parents actually separated. Uh, And so every year during Christmas, uh, as soon as the Christmas carols started doing their rotations in church, uh, or you could hear it at the shopping centers, uh, I was reminded that Christmas wasn't the same for my family anymore. Uh, And plenty of people find no joy at Christmas. Uh, The work deadlines around Christmas just means longer hours for you at the office. The extra retail madness means more people shopping, less parking spots available. Uh, The Christmas presents means that uh, you're actually going to struggle to make ends meet financially this month. The family gatherings remind you of the family you can't be with at this time. Or the loneliness you feel because everyone else is busy with their families. Is Christmas a joyful time for you? Many of us will say yes. But there are also many of us who would say no. In the same way, there are mixed responses to Jesus. Uh, For many of us, uh, particularly uh, those of us who are Christian and who follow Jesus, we would say that Jesus brings great joy uh, because he is the light of the world who gives us hope in this life. But for many others, Jesus is not a source of joy. Maybe you don't agree with his teaching. Or maybe you've had bad experiences with the church. Or maybe you've been hurt by people who claim to be his followers, but don't act that way. For whatever reason, Jesus does not bring you joy. Now, just as as Christmas can bring joy to some and not to others, so also the coming of Jesus brings joy to some and not to others. Now, the famous Christmas story uh, in the Christian Bible that we just read out uh, shows us these mixed responses. Uh, We're going to take a closer look at this story and see why it is that we can rejoice at the coming of Jesus. In fact, let me tell you up front what this Christmas story shows us. Uh, And uh, kids, this is your big idea. It's actually just our big idea collectively, this is what our Christmas story shows us. Jesus is the king who comes to save us. So rejoice and worship him. Now let me invite you all to have a look at the story with me as we unpack this idea. Now in this story, we're going to come across three different reactions to the coming of Jesus as king. 
And as we go through the story, as we look at each of these three reactions, we're going to take the opportunity to reflect and consider whether we might find ourselves reacting in the same way. Uh, Now, if you're here and you're not a Christian, or you haven't been to church in a while, then can I say that we're really glad that you're here with us this morning. And I hope that you'll take this time, you'll take this opportunity to reflect on your own reaction to Jesus and to consider seriously the joy that he offers to this world. So let's jump into this story, which we find in the second chapter of Matthew's biography of Jesus' life. So keep your Bibles open to the beginning of chapter 2. Now, uh, these uh, opening chapters of uh, Matthew's biography function as kind of like an origin story of Jesus. Uh, Yesterday at church, we looked at Jesus' genealogical origin, his family tree, Uh, how his family tree had all sorts of famous and infamous and obscure people. Uh, And in today's uh, chapter, it focuses in on Jesus' geographic origin, where Jesus came from, where he was born. We, we know from our Christmas stories that, uh, and our Christmas carols that Jesus was born in a town called Bethlehem. But we also know that he, he came to be known as Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, those are two different places. Uh, the events of this chapter show us how that came to be. And Matthew then gives us some insight from the Old Testament scriptures as to why this was necessary. Now, this morning, I'm not going to go too much into the significance of the geography, uh, but the main thing for us to understand from Jesus' geographic origin uh, is that it confirms for us that Jesus is truly the king who is born to rule and to save the world. And it's this identity as the saving king which prompts the various reactions that we see in the first half of this chapter. And so we're actually going to be spending most of our time in these uh, first 12 uh, verses of the chapter, uh, and we're going to see these three different reactions to Jesus as the saving king. So, uh, Bible's open, Matthew 2. Let's take a look at the first paragraph for the first reaction. Now, the first reaction comes from King Herod. Now, King Herod is kind of like um, if uh, if Judea was kind of like the, the, a state, like Queensland, then King Herod was kind of like the state premier. Um, I, don't, I don't know who our premier is anymore, but uh, Stephen Miles. King Herod is kind of like the Stephen Miles of Judea. Uh, when Herod hears about some foreign wise men who have come to Judea to worship the newborn king of Jesus, do you see how he reacts? Uh, you see there uh, in verse 3, King Herod is troubled. He's troubled. He, he has that unsettled feeling that you might get when, you, uh, when you've just heard some bad news. Now, think about it. Why would the mention of a boy, probably not older than two years old, be bad news for a king, for a state premier? Well, it's because Herod's kingship, his premiership, is, is shaky at best. You see, uh, the, the area uh, was uh, in the past uh, inhabited by the Jewish people, uh, but uh, since, uh, for, for a number of years now, it's actually been uh, uh, sort of ruled by the Roman Empire. And King Herod, uh, he's been put in power there in that region by the Roman Empire. 
Um, but the people that he rules over are mainly Jewish. They're Jews. They're people of Judea. And he knows uh, that the Jewish people in particular are waiting for the true heir to uh, the, the throne, the true heir to King David's throne, uh, the one who is called the Christ, or in other words, the King of the Jews. So King, King Herod's kingship is shaky uh, because he knows that the people he rules are expecting another king. And so if the Christ has indeed been born, as these foreign wise men suggest, then King Herod fears that he will lose his power and lose his control. And so in response to his feeling troubled and unsettled, he consults uh, the Jewish religious leaders, and they tell him that the Christ was to be born in Bethlehem. Uh, They quote from the Old Testament prophet Micah. They say, from Bethlehem shall come a ruler. Now, if Jerusalem is like the Brisbane of Judea, uh, then Bethlehem is kind of like that little village up in Mount Tambourine. Like that, that's, that's sort of the, the geographic and the size comparison between the two. Uh, it's this small regional town. There's, there's not much going on most of the time. And so it's not really the sort of place that you'd expect a future monarch to be born. Except that Bethlehem was actually also the birthplace of King David. And now the religious leaders are saying, uh, they're quoting the prophet Micah, that out of this same town, the Christ was to be born. Now, we'll see in a little while how King Herod responds uh, to this new information. Uh, But I want us to pause for a moment uh, to give us some space for self-reflection. I wonder whether there are times that we feel troubled by the arrival of King Jesus. Uh, Maybe you have something else or someone else ruling your heart. Maybe you don't want to relinquish the power and control you have over your own life, your own decisions, your own circumstances. Uh, Friends, we live in an age where the individual is the ultimate ruler. Uh, as long as you're able to make your own choices, as, as long as you're able to genuinely express yourself, as long as you're able to pursue your passion, then you'll be truly satisfied. And anything that threatens this is deeply unsettling. The reality, however, is that we will never have perfect power, or perfect control over our lives. Uh, As much as we try to cling on to our autonomy, we know that there are so many things outside of our control. And the reason for that is because the reality is that it is Jesus who is the true king over the world. Jesus is the ruler over all reality. And the reason that we aren't in control is because Jesus already is. This is what Christians believe from the Bible. But but get this, the fact that Jesus is the ruler also means that we don't have to feel troubled 
over our lack of control. We don't have to feel troubled over our lack of control. You see, the arrival of King Jesus need not unsettle us. Instead, his perfect rule ought to comfort us in the midst of our inability to control everything. It's because we can trust that Jesus is in perfect control when we are not. And that is good news, not troubling news. Well, let's continue now to look at the second reaction in this story. And let's take a look and see how King Herod responds to having his power and control potentially taken away. Have a look in your Bibles there, um, about uh, down to verse 7, uh, after, after the quote uh, that the Jewish religious re- uh, leaders give. Uh, look at what King Herod does. King Herod, he secretly summons the foreign wise men and he sends them to Bethlehem, asking them to report back to him once they find Jesus so that he too can go and worship him. So that he too can go and worship him. Now, you might read this and you think that King Herod has, a, has a, had a change of heart. Uh, he's now ready, ready to relinquish his title, relinquish his control. He's ready to go and worship Jesus. Uh, and that's the story that he appears to give to the wise men. But uh, we know what happens later on in the story. Uh, we know that when the wise men fail to return, King Herod gives the terrible order to kill all the male children in Bethlehem who are aged two years and under. He's, he's, trying, to, he's trying to smoke Jesus out. He's trying to get rid of Jesus. I think it's safe to say from, uh, from what we know of what happens and also from how King Herod was troubled, it's safe to say that when he says that he was going to go and worship Jesus, that really he's only pretending. You see, he pretends that he wants to find Jesus and worship him, but we can tell that he actually wants to find Jesus and eliminate him so that he can remain in power. Now, I wonder whether we sometimes act a bit like King Herod in this regard. Uh, we, we probably don't pretend to worship Jesus so that we can go and kill him. But we do pretend to worship Jesus sometimes while still wait, wanting to remain in charge of our own lives. Now, what, what might that look like? What might it look like to pretend, but instead to want to stay in control of your life? Or it might look like coming to church every Sunday uh, or, or on special occasions like today, but the rest of the year... You live life on your own terms, as if God doesn't exist, as if Jesus isn't king. It might look like reading lots of Christian theology books. You've read all of the books on this bookshelf. You know your Bible really well. You can tell me exactly where that verse, that chapter is. But you fail to be humble, to be gracious, to be generous, to be loving to others. It might look like being really passionate when you sing Christian songs or or really passionate when you serve at church, really, really faithful to that. But being immediately dismissive when it comes to making sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. What it might look like to pretend will be different for everyone. But the common trait is that there is a part of your life 
that you're unwilling to submit to King Jesus. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who struggles to obey Jesus and submit their lives to him is pretending. But if you're honest with yourself, you can probably work out whether or not you are pretending to worship Jesus. And if you are pretending, uh, then let me take this moment uh, to be honest with you. Pretending is pretty much the same as rejecting Jesus. In both instances, you, you desire to be in control of your own life. And in both instances, you fail to properly worship Jesus as your king. But the problem with pretending to worship Jesus is that Jesus isn't pretending to be king. And if this is you today, then let me say this to you. There's no need to pretend. There's no need to pretend because Jesus can see right through it. Jesus can see right through it, and yet he offers you the chance to turn that pretend worship into genuine worship. To admit that you've been pretending all along, to admit that you struggle to relinquish control, and to realize that Jesus' rule is not one who's a, you know, a tyrannical monarch who wants to control your life. Jesus' rule is that of a shepherd, a shepherd who truly protects and cares for his sheep. In other words, Jesus offers you the chance to respond just as the foreign wise men do. Uh, and that's the third reaction that we're going to have a look at from verse 9 onwards. You see, the wise men, the foreign wise men, have a completely different response to King Jesus. They don't feel troubled at the arrival of Jesus. Rather, they rejoice. Uh, and you see the wording that the ESV uses. They rejoice exceedingly with great joy. Can you tell that they are joyful? Can you tell that they are rejoicing? They rejoice exceedingly with great joy when they see the star guiding them to the newborn king. They don't feel troubled at the arrival of Jesus. And they don't pretend to worship Jesus either. Rather, when they see Jesus, they genuinely fall down and worship him. They offer him gifts that are fit for a king. Why are these wise men so full of joy? Why do they fall down in worship? Well, it's because they recognize that Jesus is indeed the promised king of the Jews. And they understand that this means more than just taking over King Herod's role as the state premier of Judea. Uh, you see, for centuries, the Old Testament prophets have been speaking about a future king of the Jews who would come, not to, not to rule the land of Judea, but who would come to save the world from darkness. This Christ would come from the line of King David. This Christ would be born in Bethlehem. This Christ would find himself in Egypt and from there follow the, uh, the journey of Old Testament Israel out of Jesus, Egypt and into the wilderness and prove himself to be the true son of God that Israel failed to be. 
and he would eventually emerge from the insignificant backwater town of Nazareth, a place, it's that place that you look down upon, uh, everyone else around them looks down upon, despises. It is a place that is despised, looked down upon, which foreshadows the suffering that this Christ would eventually endure in his death on the cross. But in suffering death, this King of the Jews, this Christ, would save the world from death itself. This is why the wise men rejoice. This is why they fall down in worship. This is why the arrival of King Jesus is joy to the world. He has come to save us from the one thing all of us cannot have power and control over. Death. Now, friends, I wonder whether we find it hard to relinquish control over our lives because we think that if we try hard enough, we can fill our life with joy. You know, we, just, we just need more money, then we can feel joy. We just need more success in our careers. We just need more properties, more overseas adventures. We just need more friends to hang out with, more deep and meaningful conversations. We just need that special someone who will bring a little joy into our lives. We just need to find that one thing we're truly passionate about. We just need to attain that one thing which will truly bring us satisfaction. But for some reason, whenever we get that thing, whatever that thing you're, you're longing after, whenever we find that joy to fill our lives, for some reason, that joy doesn't seem to last. And no matter how hard we try, that joy that we've built up for ourselves can be taken away by something completely out of our control. And when that happens, uh, we, we just pretend that everything's okay, right? We pretend we're still in control, even though we're not. We do that because everyone else seems to be in control and doing fine. But friends, the reason that Jesus is truly joy to the world is because he gives us something that we can't find or gain for ourselves. Something that can't be taken away by things out of our control. What Jesus gives us is the joy of knowing that we will be saved from death. For those of us who so desperately want to be in control, death is the ultimate sting, the ultimate sucker punch that demonstrates just how not in control we are over our own lives. But Jesus gives us a hope and joy over death because he himself died and he himself came back to life. And in doing so, he overcame the power of death And he promises the same to those who surrender control of their own lives over to him. Christmas is all about the arrival of Jesus into the world. And this Christmas story from Matthew 2 shows us that Jesus is the king who comes to save us. And we've seen the different reactions to Jesus' arrival. 
And so I want, to, I want to end this sermon by asking you, how will you react? How will you react? Will you feel troubled and unsettled? Will you pretend to submit to Jesus? Or will you recognize that Jesus, the King of Israel, has come to save the world? Will you rejoice at this good news? Will you recognize your lack of, your, uh, lack of control and your need for a savior? Will you entrust yourself to King Jesus, believing that his resurrection shines a great light that casts away the darkness of death? Will you fall down humbly and joyfully and worship him? Let me pray for us, and then we'll sing our final song. Let's pray. And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. King Jesus, we praise you for coming down into this world to be born as a human, to suffer death on a cross so that you could bring joy to the world. We pray that we would not feel troubled by your kingship or feel the need to pretend, but instead recognize that we are not in control and desperately need you to rule over our lives. Help us to rejoice at your salvation and fall down in worship of you. Amen.